you're constantly manifesting, although most of the time we're in static because there's no reception, because we're feeling so much shame around receiving. I mean, the question you even asked me, whether you knew it or not, it's just the thousands of years of conversation around who am I to receive because I don't have shame means I don't even know if it's spiritual to receive when it couldn't be anything. It's like all you're here to do is be a better receiver. Welcome to Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? I'm Emily Fletcher, and I believe that bliss is your birthright. That's why I'm calling on my world-class network to uncover the most potent, spine-tingling, even taboo healing modalities, all so you can reclaim your bliss. Let's do this. So the day before we recorded this episode, I got a DM on Instagram from a woman who was like, hey, do you want to come to this event on Sunday in LA? And I was like, I'm actually on a plane to LA right now. Yes, let's go. And then I had this little inkling and I thought, I should invite her on the podcast. And I said, hey, are you, do you happen to be free tomorrow morning at 10 a.m.? And she's like, yeah. So she comes on the show. It's one of my favorite interviews to date. We discover that we actually went to college together, not just the same college, but we were in the same year. We were both theater majors. She knew who I was. I did not remember her, full disclosure, but I wish that I had. But it turns out that nature just wanted us to meet right now. This woman is so brilliant. She studied religion in college after she left theater. She then moved to Jerusalem where she lived for three years studying Kabbalah and Judaism She went on to create an eight-figure business as a creative, and now she helps people to do the same thing, to tap into their creativity and to monetize their genius. She hosts a very successful podcast with over 40 million downloads. She has a book called Don't Keep Your Day Job and is a business coach, a mom, a songwriter, and helps people to create wealth and next-level happiness. And she didn't get this because she's lucky or special. It's because of how deeply she understands the principles of abundance. And that is exactly what she shares on this episode today. So if you have ever had any old story that making money is not spiritual or that uh, to receive the abundance that is available to you makes you anything less than holy, this is going to be deep, powerful medicine for you. Also, warning, you are going to want to have tissues for this episode She shares her personal story of what happened in her family, which is what inspired her to study religion. And there was not a dry eye in the podcast studio. I was weeping. Our director of photography was weeping. So get ready to open your heart and to change the way that you relate with what you deserve. Today's episode is all about why isn't everyone manifesting? And I'm so excited to welcome to the show the queen of manifesting herself, Kathy Heller. And if you would like to dive deeper into these powerful modalities, you can join me at zivameditation.com slash why this. Now, when you head there, you're going to find free bonus content. I am talking mini masterclasses for myself and these amazing guests to help you really experience firsthand the power of these modalities. All you have to do is head to zivameditation.com slash why this. I feel so truly excited for this interview today. I feel like we're in already in outrageous flow. I feel excited for you to coach me on manifesting. I feel excited for people to learn about this outrageous serendipity of the fact that we went to, not only did we go to college together, we were apparently in the same year. I had no idea. You were like the moon. I felt like a little a person standing on the t- on the hill looking at the moon. So I was like, oh, she must be a senior and I'm a freshman because you were tall with like moonbeams coming off of you. I don't even know. (laughs) And that's even before meditation. So thanks for that compliment. Also, I was from Tallahassee, so I didn't have to like change and uproot my life when I went to college. I was sort of like on my home turf. Wow. And I'm, I'm just feeling like 
just remembering back to the me at 18 years old. Like if, if you think that 18-year-old Kathy could see you now, what do you think that version of Kathy would say? Oh, there's a way out of this. Wow. What a relief. What did you want to get out of? I mean, at that point, I really didn't know the difference between the role of Kathy Heller and home base, like my soul. I really didn't know the difference. So I really was bought into my my life. I was really addicted to the hormones of cortisol and stress and living a story. And it was, it's intense in there. Mm. Yeah. So for, for you, when you say home base, you, that to me, that means like your soul, the collective consciousness, nature animating yeah, your connecting body. connecting to the divine. Yeah, I mm. wasn't yet connected. But you became a religion major. Yeah, I became a humanities major with okay. like focus on world religion. Okay. I started studying Southeastern Asian religion. Cool. Because that seemed cool, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. It is cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's when I started studying meditation, uh-huh. Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, Taoism. And I was like, I couldn't get enough. I was just like, oh my gosh, like all I wanted to do was like swoon over sentences in these books. That's all I wanted to do. And then in order to get this major, to, to be able to just do that, I had to take other classes in other religions. And I was like, oh, but then I could just keep taking these kinds of philosophical classes. So then I grew up Jewish, like I am Jewish, like d- biologically too, right? If I took a 23 and me, it'd be like, there it is. <laughs> but I wasn't at first interested in that because I didn't grow up really knowing anything about it. But then I was like, all right, well, I need to take classes to get this degree. And it felt like beating the system that I could literally get a degree at Florida State by just studying spirituality. I was like, how is this a thing, right? (laughs) So, but after I had taken all the Eastern religion classes, I had to like take the rest in order. And so I took a class on Judaism and realized that Abraham was the first person ever who said this thing that uh, God was oneness. And I was like, oh my God, they're so similar. Like, this is so similar. Like, of course I would be connected. So then I wrote a paper on the Buddha, Siddhartha, and Moses, Hmm. and comparing them. That was like my senior thesis. What was the thesis? Well, they're just so similar. I mean, they both were born in a castle. They were both princes. Mm Mm-hmm. And no one like really stops to get that. Yeah, you know, I don't think of Moses as a prince. Right, he was a prince of Egypt and Siddhartha was a prince. Mm -hmm. And they both lived this full, full material life and felt there was a missing piece. And then they both went into the wilderness and then they both led people to a different path. Mm. It's like so similar. (laughs) So I was just like, oh, okay. That's why I get that. So then um, I took a trip to Jerusalem when I was in college, it was a college trip. Um, I would never have gone probably, but it was like through school I could go. And I felt so uh, utterly just plugged in. It felt like whatever people say Sedona is, I felt like walking the streets of Jerusalem. I felt like God was like local. It was like Wi-Fi turned on. What is this? Oh, the Wi-Fi network of God. It was just like so unbelievably potent in the wind and the stone and the air. It was just unbelievable. And so I took a class, my very first trip there, one class. And it was a class taught by a man whose name was Rabbi David Zeller, who passed away, who was a Jew boo. 
He was a. I love this term, Juba. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Elena Brower. It's actually in Salzburg. So it turns out the majority of Buddhist leaders in this country are actually Jews because most of them don't know a ton, a ton about Kabbalah or Judaism. So they found it in yoga and Eastern meditation. Anyway, that's kind of been my journey is like finding the path back to both. But so I met this man and he had been born Jewish, became a Buddhist. He was a therapist, then became like this like beautiful rabbi who kind of like put it all together. And I just happened to like walk into his class. Um, And he wrote the word Shabbat on the board, which is the Hebrew word for the Sabbath, the word Shabbat. People say Shabbat Shalom. Anyway, so he wrote this word on the board and he said, does anyone know what this word means? And I'm sitting there like, no, I don't really, I guess. And he said, the way that we understand a word is to see the very first time it's ever used in the text and what's the context. And he said, the very first time the word Shabbat is used is when Abraham is meditating. And he said, so Shabbat, the idea of the Sabbath is a 24-hour meditation. Mm. And so he said, if you read the text, it says that when Abraham sat at the foot of the tent and sat in this Shabbat, position of of deep connection and deep rest where he lets go of the false self, God appears. So he was like, that's all it is. It's like, that's the whole point. And I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, so good. And so um, I went back to Tallahassee and this I is knew, my hometown where we yeah, went to college so, together. So crazy, at Florida I State would, University. It's, it's honestly crazy to think I would have found my way out of this matrix into the quantum, like in Tallahassee, Florida, like like the connection there. It's fascinating. Anyway, so I knew I was going to go back for the summer after I graduated to Jerusalem, and then um, what what was going to be three months turned into three years. Wow. And I lived in the old city, um, mm. and I studied Kabbalah with an amazing, amazing Kabbalist rabbi who— uh, Larry King once had a show with Deepak Chopra and Marian Williamson and my rabbi, and— wow. uh, it was the three of them, and they all spoke, and they all finished each other's sentences. They all said the same thing. And um, so I lived with him and his seven kids and his amazing wife, who's like a astrologer. She reads handwriting. Like, they're just the most quantum, special, yummy, loving, 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 loving people. And I learned, uh, I learned manifestation through him and with him. So this is so— Amazing. Because one, you think that, oh, you're going to Jerusalem, you're studying Kabbalah, you're studying Eastern religions where it's like, oh, that is so spiritual. It's not of this world. Like God is holy and this world is an illusion and we'll just put our attention on God and this world. The material things are keeping you down. If you could just transcend your desires, then you can transcend suffering, which is one of my understandings is like a core tenets of Buddhism. Like the, the desires yeah. cause the suffering. It's not so, the same in Judaism, actually. Right. And, yeah. and so— so I'm curious, now, here you are, you have Manifest with Kathy Heller, you have a book, a best-selling book, Don't Keep Your Day Job, you have an eight-figure business, you're teaching people, and especially women, to manifest millions. Good job, Emily, you got that all right. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I am a straight-A student. <laughs> and it sounds so cool. Thank you. Yeah, like, you're cool. You're cool, and you've done a lot. I'm a mom with you, three kids. I don't know, ask them how cool I am. And a mom with three kids which is the coolest thing you could be doing. Probably is, yeah. And so I would just love 
for you to help us connect the dots, because I know that so many people have this thing of like, well, if I study spirituality, if I study religion like that, then I shouldn't want a lot of money and I shouldn't oh be manifesting gosh. millions. No, 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 no. So no, how no. did you go from like being studying deep Kabbalah in Jerusalem to teaching people how to manifest millions of dollars? Yeah, because they're totally the same. So say more. Yeah. So it turns out that our whole job here is to have radical reception, to be receivers period. And the ego doesn't want to receive. Why? Because it wants to be in control, right? It wants to be separate because it wants to be worthy. Like the soul is totally worthy. So of course it should receive. The idea of being an ego, you wouldn't want to receive because it's for you and not for everybody else because that means you're separate. But if you're one and you're part of the oneness, why would you not want to receive? You're receiving on behalf of the collective. Mm. Like really get that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense unless there's this idea of separation and lack, which is made up. I mean, it's totally made up, right? As Marianne Williamson said to me, if you looked out at the ocean, you would never for a second perceive that one wave is separate from another wave. Mm-hmm. My, my kids and I, um, my husband, my kids and I, we go to this place in South Carolina. And we, we swim in the May River with these dolphins and they have so much grace because they're just willing to receive. They're not saying, no, I don't deserve a whole ocean. I don't deserve enough food. I should just have. You would never look at a redwood tree and see a redwood tree that says, I should only have a small amount of water. I'm only trying to take up this much space. Well, because if you zoom out, this redwood tree is adding to the collective ecosystem of this whole tapestry. So it needs to receive. So the difference between Judaism and Buddhism, right, one of the differences is that the idea, when you said before that this world, the whole idea is to transcend this world, no, it's to actually bring godliness into this world. So like have sex and like have it from a place of like really bringing and infusing holiness into that moment Mm -hmm. and have a glass of wine and like be conscious and elevate it and have food and when you eat, know that what you're eating is designed to give you nutrition so that you can be more of a light into the world. So all we're really doing, all that really exists is God. If God is infinite, then everything's God. Like we're all just hanging out inside of this infinite field. So why would you not receive? Mm -hmm. Oh, because you're thinking you're an ego and you're separate from God and God's limited. So God's over there and you're over here and who are you to receive? But that's not, it doesn't even exist. Right. Mm-hmm. If you zoom out, all that there is is this one infinite field of consciousness. And so the more one allows through, the more it's like you're, you're really just a lightning rod. You're just a conductor of more energy, more love, more abundance. So your job is to set down your ego and just say thank you, just receive it mm-hmm. and just allow it to overflow and overflow and overflow. Why would you want? To have less, oh, because you believe there's not enough. Oh, because you believe whatever you have takes away from what someone else has. All of that is scarcity. None of that is abundance. None of that is actual God consciousness. Yeah. Right. And so how do you do that? How do you yourself put down your ego or how do you teach your folks to put down the ego and really become that receiver, become that? Because both things are real, right? Like it's, it's the appearance of separateness. So like, yes, the wave appears to be separate. It's not actually separate. And that wave could knock you down, right? Like both things are true. If you're a human, that wave is not an illusion. 
It's a real wave that appears as separate, but not actually separate. And the ego exists, I believe, for a reason. And so when yeah. it starts to bow up and when it starts to talk back or when you start to feel lack or not deserving or your trauma is keeping you from remembering that you're actually cosmic intelligence pretending to be a human, like how do you coach people to remember that? Yeah, I mean, remembering what's really true. I mean, that's really ultimately, there's there's a, a, a few really important things to say about that. So let's unpack that. I mean, first of all, you know, when we wake up within four seconds, if we're not conscious, we just move into this unconscious program, right? Within four seconds? Yeah, within four seconds. Like right when you open your eyes, if you don't remember, if you don't remember that you're God conscious, pretending to be human. <laughs> if you don't remember to be conscious, you're just going to be run by your unconscious program and you're just going to live with a preschooler just running your mind, right? Because that's the trance of the unconscious program. But we can change that from the age of like zero to 12, right? There's all this fear and there's all this rejection and there's all this feeling of being separate and all that was modeled for us, for us of unworthiness. Our parents, whatever they had, we like caught that, right? So I that we caught that. <laughs> I guess just really being aware that you are someone because you're some of the one. You're a masterpiece because you're a piece Ooh, of them. You are someone because you're some That's of Rabbi the David. One. That's him. That's and he so also good. taught me, you're a masterpiece. You're a piece of the master. Yeah. So um, I think it's a, I don't think words teach anything. Words don't teach. So I can, I can say these things, but really, hopefully, it's just more what you're feeling the love that maybe I'm able to generate, maybe you can feel it, but mm -hmm. you have to feel that at some point. It's like Bob Marley, open your heart. You know, mm -hmm. you open your heart and you realize, oh, there's something loving me into life in this moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm connected to that, right? Always, all the time. I'm a, I'm a breath away from this elevated state of being. And I think it's a practice, right? It's a practice of like meditation, stopping every morning, witnessing the mind going, oh, there's Kathy Heller. Look what she's doing. She's thinking that. Now she's going to go do that. Da, 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 da. Right? Yes, yeah, so having a lot of compassion hear, for her. Yeah. And I'd love to hear you talk about the relationship between meditation and manifesting. Because from where I sit, it's like, there's, it's not pointless, but it's it's so much harder to manifest if you are not first meditating, if you aren't reminding yourself that you are the wave pretending or the ocean pretending to be the wave. Yeah. If you're not letting that cortisol and adrenaline slip away, if you're not letting your mm -hmm, body flood right. with those love chemicals, then to try and believe that you are worthy of receiving is much more challenging. But if you start with the meditation and then move into manifesting, which is kind of what I've built my whole career on, like I I would just want to hear from you, like what's your relationship with those two things and how do you do it personally and how do you teach those two things together? Yeah, I think first of all, we make things so much more harder than they are. Like we we overcomplicate things because we're, we're bought into the belief that it has to be hard. Mm -hmm. And it's actually so easy. It really is so easy, but it it just requires us to set down how hard we think it is. So that's a little bit of the trick. Okay. So I'll teach you how it was taught to me. Great. So thanks. Rabbi, you're like, that's what I'm asking. So <laughs> get get on it. Um so what Rabbi Aaron taught me was just such a beautiful, life-changing paradigm shift because he basically said, listen, the word Kabbalah means to receive. That's what the word means. Lekabel means to receive. Oh. So what does that mean? 
it means that often you'll hear people say like there's the law of attraction. So he would say it's really the law of reception. And what's the difference? Well, the law of reception works like a radio. So what does that mean? Well, if I had a radio sitting in this room right next to me, then depending on where I have the receiver, it determines what music will play. And like, where's the knob tuned to? Am I tuned to like hip hop, opera? I want to listen to like an AM radio station, right? And if you really like get that metaphor, what you understand in literal terms is that right now, there's already music here. Right now. Right now. Like literal, let's go, let, let's really get it. Like right now. Not a moment earlier, not tomorrow. Right now. If I had a radio, there would be music playing. And depending on where I put my receiver, I could get static. I could get salsa songs. I could get hip-hop. I could get oldies, pop, top 40 right now. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what determines what music is revealed is where the receiver is set. And when the music plays... It was already always there. It's just, it was hidden in plain sight. It just becomes revealed. That's manifesting. Mm. That's it. <laughs> so essentially, we don't think we're a radio. We think that the music is just going to play because we walked into a room where there was music on, or we walked into a room where there was no music, or our parents decided what music was playing, or our neighbors are deciding it, or whatever's going on around us is deciding what music is playing. But that's so not what's happening. If I took two guitars, and I put two guitars on a table here, and I plucked the C string on this guitar, the C string on this guitar plays. It's not that the guitar vibrates, it's the exact same note vibrates back because there's a law of resonance. Just like if I took this microphone off the stand and like dropped it, there'd be a thud because gravity is, at least here on Earth. That's a principle of physics. So it's always and it's always and it's never not what I just said, where everything is, where you're receiving, how much capacity you have for the music, how much Wi-Fi, how much signal you have, will determine what you broadcast. Mm. So you're manifesting constantly. You're constantly manifesting, although most of the time we're in static because there's no reception, because we're feeling so much shame around receiving. I mean, the question you even asked me, whether you knew it or not, it's just the thousands of years of conversation around who am I to receive because I don't have shame means I don't even know if it's spiritual to receive when it couldn't be anything. It's like, all you're here to do is be a better receiver. Like, have as much beauty and as much music so that when you walk through the world, you become like a Wi-Fi pong for everybody else. So why would you have shame around reception? The more you allow in, the more you become a custodian for, right? And so the Talmud has a really beautiful way of understanding money. What's the Talmud? So... When Moses went up on this mountain and spoke to God, came back with the Ten Commandments, um, he downloaded the Talmud, which is oral tradition, which was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And it was eventually written down many, 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 many generations ago. And it's so beautiful. And so 
all of the meaning that Jews draw out from the Old Testament, right? The Torah is is the commentary, is the the yummy juice that's in the Talmud, right? So if you watch the movie Yentl, like that's what they're studying. They're studying Talmud. They're studying, they're not studying the five books of Moses. They're studying the interpretations of it. That's really why Jews are so typically into learning and law and studying because we've been studying the 17 volumes of oral tradition in the Talmud, like every line that's in the Old Testament is spoken about for pages and pages and pages. So nothing is taken at face value. That's why it's fascinating the way we understand these books because we understand them through like a much bigger lens. So in the Talmud, there's a whole discussion, many discussions, but there's a beautiful discussion on what is money? Really, what is it? And so the interpretation of money is that money is akin to rain in a garden. And what does that mean? It means that if rain falls in a garden and rain falls on weeds, the weeds will grow. And if rain falls in a garden and rain falls on hydrangeas or peonies or roses, they grow. And so the idea being that if a person is in alignment, if a person has integrity, the more money, the more rain, the more, the more it just grows, the alignment. If a person is out of alignment and it has more of this energy, more of this resource, more of this money, it will grow that. And so if Wait, I say asked, that again, like I want to understand the alignment and the rain. Like how so you're so saying if money it, is like rain mm-hmm. and rain falls on something that's inherently a weed, it'll grow it. Mm-hmm. Right? Money is just the great energizer to what is. Mm-hmm. And so if I asked you right now, if you could think of somebody who has money, who has not done good things with it, whether you're thinking of someone in a fictional character or a real character, I'm sure you can think of somebody. Mm-hmm. And if I asked you right now to think of somebody with money who's done beautiful things with it, you could probably think of that. Yep. And if I asked you right now to think of someone who has no money, who's done beautiful things in the world, who's shown generosity, you could think of that. And mm-hmm. if I asked you to think of an example of someone who has very little money, who's done really horrible things, we can find it for sure. So it's not the money, it's the alignment, right? Because mm-hmm. every time you go to a hospital, there's a name on the building. Every time you go to a theater, there's a name on the door. Every time you go to Africa and there's something that's been funded, there's a person's name under it. And especially women, because women, even if you just look at females in the animal kingdom, when females have more food, they give it away to the babies. They actually have to surround the food in the animal kingdom because the men, the, 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 the males, will take the food even from the babies. So when women have more, they do beautiful things with it. So I so deeply know that. So when you asked me before, I think that that's really where so many people are stuck is like, how would I be spiritual if I received? And it's like, wow, it's time. Like there's a great awakening here. You know, only, you know, two to 3% of the world's leadership is female. 
I think something like three percent of seven figure companies are run by women. Right. Um, I mean, it's just like there's um I talked to Dr. Shafali recently and she said that like the single greatest poison is women not being who we were meant to be. Like we were here to be radical receivers. In fact, if you look at the Kabbalistic understanding of it, it really mirrors so beautifully the anatomy, right? Men give and women receive, right? Mm. And in her receiving, she's powerful. Mm. I think that there is, like to your point of this awakening, I I feel like the frequency of the planet and the paradigm on the planet is very much shifting from one of masculine into feminine. And that does not mean male into female necessarily. It means from this like going, achieving, stressing out, white knuckling, work hard, play hard into like, if you try and play that game right now, it doesn't work. Like we're having to find a new frequency of receptivity, of leaning back, of alignment. It's like the egg does not struggle. She does not strive. She magnetizes. She's discerning. She is receptive. And the sperm is, you know, competing and swimming and working. And and obviously we need both. Yes, we always will have duality. But it feels like the dominant frequency on the planet really is turning into one of reception. And so this analogy that we are the receivers and that the music is playing all the time and all you have to do is set your dial to the thing that you want to receive. I love that because it does, it makes it so simple. And it means I don't have to go out and take, you know, a two-year master's program in manifestation in order to simply tune my dial to what it is that I want to receive. Just yeah, yesterday I landed yeah. I landed in LAX and I was just walking through the the rent-a-car place and I was like, I'd love to get a free upgrade. And I walked out and I was like, oh, would you like this free upgrade? I was literally <laughs> like, I thought it and it happened. And then I pulled out and, and I pulled onto the road and it was Isis Drive and I, I have a very beautiful personal relationship with the deity Isis, the goddess of sex yeah. magic and motherhood yeah. and fertility. I could so see that. <laughs> yeah, like I've never felt a relationship, like an anthropomorphized relationship with God the way that I do with Isis. So I roll out on my new upgraded car onto Isis Drive. And in that moment, I get a text message from Dr. Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith, who's like, Emily, I'd love to be on the podcast and I'd love to have you on mine. And I start crying tears of gratitude because I remember like 22-year-old right. Emily who watched The Secret for the first time and learned about manifesting for the first time, like would have been so outrageously happy and giddy and proud and excited to get the opportunity to sit down with this master who like really brought a lot of these concepts into the collective consciousness. But it was such an easy thing of like, oh, I'd love this. Good work. I'd love this. Good work. Thanks. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I think another piece of this is that we have to really clarify an important piece, which is that we didn't come to this world for a pile of things. Mm-hmm. We have much bigger dreams. Yeah. So we, just like a redwood tree needs the maximum amount of water and the maximum amount of sun in order to, so that it can. Mm. It's like, you, you shouldn't have limited data on your Wi-Fi plan. You should have unlimited so that you can. You should have an unlimited amount of green juice and organic food so that you can. You should have a beautiful car that won't break down, that also doesn't send out harmful emissions so that you can. You should have a beautiful home so that you can host people so that you can, so that you can. It's like we came for our own company, right? For our own service, for our own Wi-Fi receiver, which is 
just an elevated state of consciousness, right? And so all the stuff, our favorite thing is just turning the thoughts into things. If I gave somebody a zillion dollars, two days later, you'd be so bored because your favorite thing is just turning a thought. Your favorite part of that story was the part that it like, oh my God, I had this thought of them, there it is, yeah. right? It's, it's that feeling of being a creator because that's how we most emulate God because God turns nothing into something all the time and we just want to keep doing that. Um, and I think what's important, you know, the reason I love the infinity sign so much is, uh, and by the way, the number eight is like so central to Judaism, right? Hanukkah is eight days because it's the infinite, like it's beyond this world. So it's the next world, right? And light is really what connects us between this world and the next world. It's all light. That's all it is. When you close your eyes, you see so much further than when you have your eyes open, right? So the idea being that this infinity sign, if the heart receives blood, right? Hopefully it receives the maximum amount. What does it do? It immediately just puts it right back into the body. So it's it's the idea of knowing that because we're all one, the more I receive, you immediately, you immediately just receive that, right? The more that we, and you can feel that, right? When someone walks in the room and their heart is open and they're present, it like gives that Wi-Fi to everybody around. So it's not less spiritual to receive. It's more, and like you said, then you just become like a magnet. So I really love this concept. I can't stop thinking about what you said earlier, where Judaism is about bringing this frequency of spirit, of, of godliness, and bringing it into the earthly plane. That it's not about we as earthlings trying to transcend earth and getting right. to God. It's actually tuning into that frequency and delivering it here to this plane. Right. And my roommate is Regina Thomashauer, aka Mama wow. Gina, who was raised Jewish, who is Jewish. And she's such a living example of that, where she is like tapping into divine and then delivering it to this plane in so many beautiful ways from helping to save the Amazon to delivering scarves to homeless shelters to That's um, amazing. like just raising so funds. Beautiful. Like she's really living that. And I think that that's a beautiful, like for anyone who's been struggling with that idea of like, well, it's not spiritual to make money or manifesting is about collecting a pile of things. If you can really like hear what you're saying right now and like ingest it into your yeah. bones, that like you are becoming a receiver so that you can. Yeah. And that feels that's like That's what every why. receiver is there for, right? Mm. So that it can, right? Rabbi Aaron always says like, it's depressing when you go to try to get something out of a vending machine and it says out of service, right? We all want to be in service. Every guitar, he goes, imagine a guitar that instead of being played as a guitar, it's holding a potted plant. You want to serve. Like we came here to add our notes to the orchestra, right? And so it feels so good to have an instrument that's in tune and that's playing its notes, right? So that it can give it's gift away, right? It's a gift. If you have a gift, it's meant to be given. And so it's like you're here so that you can be full so that you can give. And I think women um, have been conditioned. There's so much generational trauma, especially for women around receiving that we've like turned off our reception, but we're raising the generation, right? So we're raising boys and girls. And then how do we, what are we showing boys about women? 
And what are we showing women about women, right? And do you mean like in this sort of like last few decades, sort of like this recent incarnation of feminism of where like women are trying to be more like men or be more masculine in these <laughs> right. like, let's let's emulate the thing that let's is hustle in power. more. Let's yeah. do this more. It's like, no, it's like you were saying earlier, like, you know, it's like Kate Northrup says, you know, the egg, it just sits and magnetizes it to itself. Like mm -hmm. our our greatest power is creating reception in a room. I mean, when a when a woman is coherent and she walks into a space, everybody all of a sudden can hear each other. Everybody can actually find peace. They can connect. They can find common ground, mm. right? We don't have to actually push and do. We can just be. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all energy, right? It's all that energy. And so it's like really being home inside of that alignment. It's like, it just gives so much life to everything around you all the time. Yeah, yeah. so manifesting is really just being who you are at your most natural state, which is, you know, it's like I heard Oprah say that she learned this from Gary Zukav, who also happens to be Jewish, Seed of the Soul. Uh, first book I read yeah. on the Celestine Prophecy and Seed of the Soul were like my Amazing, two. Amazing, right? And she said it's like, we're each these little boats that are connected to the mothership, you know? And so it's just kind of like really finding that center every morning. Like, who were you before you had a name? You know, when your parents came together and you were conceived and this soul came down on this volunteer mission, like, who is that person? Who is that energy? Who is that is, was, always, will be? You know, you are connected to the infinite. You can feel it. We can all feel it. And we want so much to just be a steward of that energy and keep bringing it back and coming back with it and giving and receiving it like a wave coming to the shore and returning and returning. It's like, and so why would you, the only reason people wouldn't allow themselves to have is because they have some false belief around shame and having. Mm. But there's plenty for everybody. Mm. That's a really important point to We just remember. don't have an abundance mindset. We really bought into scarcity. It's unbelievable. Even though the universe is, just literally the most infant thing there could ever be. Have, what are some of the most inspiring transformations or stories that you've heard? And I'm open to your personal stories of manifesting or stories from your students where someone was able to change that belief system and really like remember that receiving is their job to let go of that shame that or that lack mentality. And then like real seemingly magic started to show up. Like, have there any stories that have just blown your mind? Oh my God. I mean, there's so many stories that blow my mind. I'll just tell you the, the one that's probably the biggest blow your mind story is my friend, Amy Purdy. Are you friends with Amy? You should have her on your show. Yeah, she's missing her legs from the knees down. Oh, no, I don't know her. I yeah, know I of mean, her. But. She, was, uh, she had meningitis when she was 19. She woke up and she was lucky to have lived. And she lost her hearing in her left ear and she lost her legs from the knees down. And, and they couldn't believe that she was going to live. And she said, when am I getting on a snowboard? Because she had been a snowboarder. Like, not professionally, but, like, she had been a snowboarder. In fact, she became a massage therapist just so that she could bum around in different ski towns and snowboard. And they said, I don't know if you heard me, but you're not walking. Like, what do you mean snowboarding? Like, you don't, you don't have legs from the knees down. And she's like, okay. And so she went up on a mountain six months later and put her prosthetic legs into a snowboard, and she was flung down the mountain, and she almost died. She was laying in the snow and she started to cry. And her 
her friend said to her, like, I think that this is it and maybe there's a bigger mission for you and we're going to have to let this go. And it was like a pretty convincing conversation until she said, or not. Or I'm just going to believe that maybe I'm just the first person who will ever have done this. And I'm going to allow it to be. And so it is. And so she went to every engineer she could possibly meet kept hitting the wall, kept hitting the wall until she engineered her own feet and they're in the Smithsonian they're right now as we sit here. And she wound up being in the Olympic Games and she won and she taught thousands of other Paralympians how to do this. And then she was runner-up winner on Dancing with the Stars. And while other people were learning their dances, she would spend the first three to four days of each week's new dance just trying to find the right feet for each new dance. Feet that could tango, feet that could salsa, feet that could do tap dance. Like, because she needed different feet every time. So she'd spend half the week before she could learn the dance just engineering a new set of feet. And it's like, can we allow it? Can we allow ourselves to know that if, if everything's consciousness, then it's consciousness that creates reality, right? So we've just got to elevate our consciousness and then we can tweak reality. Mm-hmm. We're, we're 3D printing all the time. So manifesting is just a 3D printout of your belief system. It's just a 3D printout of your energy, right? A lot of times people just think about it when it comes to money. It's like, no, you're manifesting everything, your relationships, your health, your well-being, right? And it's all consciousness. So it's like, how much consciousness can you fully, fully internalize? And people will look at it and say, well, other people don't have access. I'm like, well, you all have, we all have access to consciousness, right? Viktor Frankl had access to consciousness in a concentration camp. That was his whole book, right? Man's Search for Meaning. Like we can, we can find access to greater consciousness wherever we are, right? And then we can 3D print, which is so exciting. And it's also scary because it puts us in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, So that's an amazing, I mean, I have like thousands of stories like that, but that one is like, I mean, that's a head turner, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... And how about for your own personal life? Was there a time, like I know you said when you were in college, you your, your parents got divorced. It was a really painful time. Yeah, yeah. And you started studying religion because you were looking for a way out of that pain. Suffering, yeah. And so like that seems like a big shift to go from that where it feels like, oh, like God and goddess, you know, mom and dad who we deify. <laughs> right, we do. Like this, we, we have to for survival, but then they split up. That changes our sense of ourself and, and who yeah. we are. So to go from that sort of tumultuous, I'm also becoming an adult for the first time and independent for the first time to then recognizing that, oh, actually I can tune my dial to any channel in the infinite cosmos yeah. that I choose. Like, can you give us an example or a story of something in your life where you were like, oh, I went from this to this? Yeah, um, it's a really good question. I think it's a beautiful question because I think sometimes when we're speaking and we're at a place where we're just, you know, sort of casting a certain kind of light, it's like, wait, what did it look like before that? You know, and Mm -hmm. I think it's important to like back up and share that. So I think I thank you for saying that. you know, when I was growing up, my house was one of those houses where there was just such a tremendous amount of tension. And my dad was physically violent and he drank too much and I'd watch my mom get hit. And so I really felt frightened, really frightened all the time. And so I would like disassociate. I would have this whole land of make-believe in my room and my my sister and I would try to run away. And I started doing theater when I was nine, and that was the most amazing escape. I was in Free to Be You and Me when I was nine. 
um, in Florida with Alex McLean, who became a Backstreet Boy. Um, <laughs> he was like 11. Anyway, I started doing theater and that was a great outlet. And it felt so good to be around people who were willing to go with me through the looking glass somewhere else, right? Um, and eventually my dad left and he was with another woman and he would kind of tell me about it. And then I felt like maybe I was getting praise for being a confidant, but I felt so uncomfortable, obviously. And then my mom became really suicidal. My mom tried to commit suicide. When you were how old? Um, Like 14, 15, but like <sighs> multiple times. Mm. So I'd have to like call an ambulance, you know? And I said to my mom one night, like, what about me? Like, what am I going to do? And she said to me, you're, you're not enough. You're, you're just not enough. I, I can't, I can't wake up for you. I, I don't have anything left and it's not enough. And I mean, it's like the ultimate, you know, like thing. And I mean, that was probably like the lowest moment in my whole life, you know? And I remember I drove to my dad's house. I didn't even have a car or a license. I just got in my mom's old Volvo that night. And I knocked on the door. He was living with this woman uh, who he went on to marry. And he opened the door and he's like, it's 9.30. Her kids are asleep. You can't come here after nine o'clock. And I drove home and there was a canal. It's Florida, a lot of canals. And I was like, I think this is my moment. Like, I think I'm done. And something, I'm telling you, like something just grabbed the wheel and was like, not tonight. Like it's not. And so I drove home. And I remember being on my knees that night, being like, I don't know if you're there. I don't know if there's anything there, but like I'm out. Like I have nothing left, literally nothing. And I could feel I could feel it, like there was something. And just then my Mickey Mouse, I had a Mickey Mouse moment with the red phone that he was holding like this. And my sister called and she was at NYU. She went to Tisch and also an actress. And she called and she goes, are you okay? I just got this like really dark feeling. And I said, no, I'm really not okay. And I said to her, I think I'm done. And she goes, oh no, 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 you're not done. And she goes, you jump, I jump. So you better stick around. And um, I said, but I know what it's like. I know what life is like. I know what it's like to be happy. I know what it's like to be sad. I think I've got it. I don't really need this thing anymore. It's just like, I'm out. And she goes, I'm coming home. And she like got on a plane and came home. And she was like, no, like, like I'm not going to make it. Like, you can't, like, for, like, for me, you are enough. Like, and I can't. And so... I went to college and it was crazy because my senior year of high school, I wasn't supposed to graduate high school. And Mr. Jacks, my homeroom teacher, told me, he goes, you have so many unexcused absences that in order for you to graduate, you need to get straight A's to show proficiency or else you have to repeat the grade. And I was like, you don't understand. Like, I have to get out of, I have to get out of here. And so, interesting how it all goes back to Florida State. So, <laughs> so what happened was... Um, I had a few weeks to like cram for these tests. And my sister's like, you're going to get 
out of school so that you can go away and then you'll go away to school and it'll and then you'll be out of this hell realm that you're in right now living with this that's going on and you can get a little oxygen and so anyway I he told me to meet him the morning of graduation so all my friends were in their caps and gowns and I went to his office and he looked at me and he was like he tried really hard kiddo he really tried so hard he's like I'm amazed like you got to be on this you never showed up for this class he's like you got a C in chemistry, but I don't know how you even did that because you'd gotten D's and everything else and you missed so much school. He's like, but he's like, but, but, but there's nothing I can do because you, you don't, you're just not making the grade, literally. And I said to him, Mr. Jax, I have to tell you what's going on in my house. And I just opened my heart and I was so vulnerable and I was like, I'm just throwing myself at the mercy of the court. Like, I gotta get out of I gotta get out of here. Like, and he goes, okay. And he took out a red pen and he changed my grade on every single thing. And he goes, go to graduation. And I was like, thank you so much. And so I went to graduation, got in the car the next day, drove to UCF. They were like, you can't come to school here. You don't have good grades. Got in the car, drove to UF, auditioned for the theater department, thinking maybe because I can sing. They were like, sorry, you're not coming to UF. And then I drove to Florida State. And um, they were like, wow, your grades are horrible. But if <laughs> They you don't care too much. Number one party school in the yeah, country. <laughs> yeah. But they said, if you start Monday for summer session and you get straight A's, you can stay for the fall. And so I literally moved into Jenny Murphy. <laughs> and uh, I, I met you like a week later. Wow. I mean, you were in like a class of mine. Wow. And then, of course, that's why I said I was like hanging on by a thread. So I was like in these theater classes and I was like, I don't think I can make it through class. Like I'm not in a good place. And so I was seeing a therapist and she was like, why don't you like take a class in like something spiritual? Yeah. You need a spiritual practice. Wow. Anyway, the rest wow. of the story is the story I told you before. Wow. Kathy, thank you so much for opening your heart so beautifully. I know. It's and sharing that story. <laughs> Because I imagine that almost everyone listening has probably had not obviously that version, but some version where they were just like, this is it. I can't do this anymore. Like I am out of chips. I don't know why I'm even here. Yeah. And the fact that, and and like you said, if we open our hearts, but you opened up to God and then God showed up through your sister, right? And that act of love from your sister and her coming to take care of you, like saved your life. Yeah. And then the fact that you were willing to keep like stepping into the unknown and going after for what you want. It's such a beautiful testament to who you are and Thank who nature you. can be through all of us. Thank you. I mean, it's amazing. Like when I went to see De Dear Evan Hansen, and of course my sister was one who's like, you need to come to New York. So I flew to see Ben Platt before he finished the uh -huh. show. And I sat in that theater and I was like, oh my God, forget Jerusalem. This is the most religious experience. Like I was watching my life. I was like, oh my God, that pain, that. And I was like, oh, that's why so many people love that show because we all have a secret and it's the same one, which is, does anybody see? Does anyone care? Does anyone know this hurt? This is my secret, right? And I was like, so what's amazing to me, such a gift is that this story, because to me, my mom's pain and what I realized is that the opposite of depression is a sense of purpose.
It's a sense of being connected to why you were put here and being in service and being needed and knowing that you're needed. And then you're enough because you matter, right? To somebody else. Because if you can make one person's day better, mm-hmm. right? You feel euphoria. And so my mom was tapped out of that. And so it's amazing that then I was sort of scooped up and wound up living in the old city of Jerusalem with this man who couldn't have been, I mean, talk about choosing a father figure, like the most loving, kind, tapped in, spiritual. Like, And I text with him every day for 20 years. It was like, God was like, I got you. I got you. I think we're going to be okay here. And then I've had the but courage But you offered to- up the prayer. Yeah, I opened it up. You offered up the prayer because nature cannot give us the thing if we do not place the order. Right. He always says, like, if you open your heart, the eye of a needle, God will do the rest. That's it. Just like that. So, yeah, I feel like he said to me once, he said, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Right? And so I think we suffer because there's just so much. We just keep projecting the past upon the future and we keep reliving the past and meanwhile where is God in the present moment right and that's why meditation prayer and like connecting to the part of you that's not your parents not your story right and that's the work you're doing which is so beautiful and so needed and um, thank you so much for making that space and insisting on it thank you for like insisting on me bringing that piece of the conversation into the room Mm. and so I mean, amazing that we've made it this far in the show and I haven't really asked you, like, if you were to answer this question, like, why isn't everyone doing this? Like, what's your this? Is it is it the manifestation? Is it like, why isn't everyone manifesting? Why isn't everyone remembering to receive? I love that question. Here's what I think happens because <laughs> I've been studying this from the human condition my entire life, you know? The scariest thing in the world is actually receiving because what happens is when we're little, the first thing we do just intuitively is we go like, we just want to be picked up. We just want to be held, right? We just want to smile. We want to connect. Deepak Chopra was telling me he was on a train in Orlando, Florida, connecting it, but he was like leaving the airport on this train and he saw a little baby and nobody knew who he was, I guess, because he was wearing his mask. It was like during covid and this baby locked eyes with him and just like lit up. And he was like, me and this baby were like vibing, vibing, like <laughs> fully in it, right? And the baby was just this open soul, this open heart, just looking at me, giving me like tons of love. And I was loving him back. And he goes, and I thought, all these people on the train, don't they wish they could do that? They do. But what happens is whether you're three or four or 12, at some point, your heart gets broken into pieces. And then you have this amazing strategy, which is, I know what I'll do. If I don't receive anything, I don't have to lose it. Mm. So we get addicted to the hormones of cortisol and stress because it keeps us feeling protected. So there's a level at which we would rather have less because if you really dreamed your dream, if you really felt yourself fall in love, if you really allowed yourself, it's like, uh, it's like that song being alive. You know, it's like somebody hold me too close, somebody Break my heart, love me too much. I mean, that's what being alive is. And it requires so much courage to receive. And Brene Brown, she was sharing how like, you know, when she studies vulnerability, the most intense vulnerability comes five seconds after a person registers that they're happy. 
you know, they're really happy and all of a sudden they get this feeling of foreboding, like, well, what's going to happen to my kid? What's going to happen to this relationship? So then what you do is you disassociate from your joy or you tamp down your joy or you don't allow yourself to have so much as a way of trying to not feel. So you actually have to teach your nervous system that it's safe to be happy, that mm. it's safe to have joy, that it's safe, that it's safe to let yourself just, you know, when I first held my kids, I went through 12 rounds of fertility treatment. So each of my kids was like its own courageous, allowing the manifest, just allowing the manifestation. And probably so much of that was my mother and me, right? And me being willing to open that up. But each time I have three daughters, thank God, and I would hold them. I was like, what was it that I did to earn her face, her hands? Nothing. Nothing comes close. There's nothing I could do to earn it. It's not earnable. It's just grace, right? My heart, my husband's heart, what would I pay to try to fix it? You can't earn these things. They're so, they're such mic drops. My point is we're being given, we're being loved into life at every moment. And when you really get the depth of the gratitude, you do feel like, yeah. So you have to, the real trick to manifesting is why you're not allowing it is because there's a feeling of fear around letting, letting yourself have it, right? And it'll get taken away. It can be taken away. And Rupert Spira said to me that the ego is like a moth and a flame. The ego is like the moth, right? And you want that flame. But as soon as you are about to have everything you want, you leave because the ego will be destroyed if you just let go and you open your heart like that, baby. There's no protection valve. You're not checking the exits. There's no fight or flight. So your ego doesn't have a job, right? It's so, so simple and it so really is. scary. And that's, that's what I always really say. It's it like disappointment is the price of admission. If you're going to play the manifesting game, like there's going to be times where it doesn't happen. But I've never heard it framed like that of that your actual identity and ego might be destroyed the moment that you actually get big enough, which is infinite, to receive the amount of blessings yeah. that are available to you, which is again infinite. And I think that seems like a beautiful answer to this question. Like, why isn't everyone manifesting? Well, one, we don't want to die. The ego doesn't the want ego to. The ego doesn't like want to die. Like, I have a big role to play and yeah. I want to protect you and you need me. Yeah. Yeah. And so for anyone who's being, been frustrated with manifestation or felt like, why am I not doing this? It's like, know that there's nothing wrong with you. It's a very habitual and quote unquote normal way of being. It makes sense that your ego would want to protect itself. And if we can tune our dial to one of receptivity, to remembering that infinite nature, then then, then it's so much easier. We can simply allow. And, and it's, I, I was struck by something you said. It's like, we don't really, you can't deserve, you can't earn the grace of your one child, two children, three children. It's bigger than that. And so if you let go of the idea that I have to earn these blessings, That's right. then I then actually that I'm, it doesn't matter how big or small the ego is or how good or bad the ego is because it's bigger than what you deserve anyway. A hundred percent. And that's why the ego, it doesn't really have a place in the manifesting conversation because I say to people sometimes like, how much money would you love to manifest? 
people will say 100 grand, a million, 5 million, 10 billion, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. It's all, it's all consciousness. It's just basically saying how much consciousness would you allow yourself to receive? So then we attach money to expansion. So mm-hmm. fine, doesn't matter. We're just using it as a language. And then I'll say, all right, you wrote 5 million, you wrote 450 grand, now close your eyes. I'll say, close your eyes. From the, from the place of your soul, how much can you give? Is there a limit? And from the place of your soul, how much can you receive? The only answer is endless. Mm-hmm. And that's where you realize, oh, this whole block I have to manifesting is because it's my ego, right? Because you don't get what you want, you get what you are. And so if I'm an ego, it's kind of like I say to people, even though obviously I've said it now a thousand times that I'm, we're Jewish, I love Christmas, I love Christmas lights, I love Christmas music, Christmas music. So on Christmas, I always love to have Christmas lights. And so two years ago, we were in Florida during the pandemic. We just like escaped to Florida, right? Because it was so crazy here in LA. So we went to Florida and we bought a house and I wanted to put these like massive Christmas lights on and my husband's like, I don't think that many lights is going to hold. And I was like, what does he know? He's such a negative Nelly. Anyway, long story short, the lights kept blowing out and then the refrigerator would go off. And I finally said, what's going on? And the electrician said, you don't have enough to hold the charge. Like you'd have to add in the breaker, like more to hold more. And that's literally manifesting. It's like, if you want to allow more, you can't move from ego because it doesn't have enough to hold the charge. Mm. But if you walk from source, if you walk from soul, you can have all of it. Infinite, limitless. Because all you're going to do is just give it back and take it and give it back. It's like, it's what manifesting is. It's not about like your ego, like having like this many followers. You don't need any of that, right? And that's never going to work because you're like trying to earn it, trying to prove yourself. So yeah, it's about an energetic, you will always, it's a tuning fork. So you'll just get back the amount. So that's why you're so right. Every morning, how do I manifest? I'm going to breathe. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to let go of Kathy Heller's little like song and dance and connect to the infinite intelligence of this one divine consciousness. And then just stay awake, stay awake, stay conscious, stay present, stay full, stay grateful, right? Stay unattached because you already have everything you need, you know? And and especially when people say, I desire X, Y, and Z, you're kind of pushing it away, right? Mm -hmm. But the more that you feel the feelings of deep gratitude and awe and wonder, it's like you can't help but just bump into the most amazing things all the time. Amen. Amen. Oh my gosh, this is so truly such a delight to get to bask in your genius, in your so lifetime sweet. of so expertise. In You're the just mirroring yourself. It's a hologram. You weave together the spiritual and the 3D world is truly masterful. Your analogies are so Thank good. You. If people want to learn more about your work or dive into your genius more, Thank where should you. they go? Well, they should come to the podcast because I'm going to have you on soon. Hey-o. Um, But so many amazing people. And the podcast is? It's called Manifest with Kathy Heller. Okay. It's in the spirituality on category of iTunes. Okay. Um, I have a book coming out with Simon & Schuster in several months called Abundant Ever After. And I really want this to be like a cry to all the women in the world to allow themselves to like turn on their power is like a magic trick that's hidden in plain sight and let themselves receive so that we can 
usher in this great awakening. Mm -hmm. We need wealthy women who are stewards of wealth in this world. Um, yeah, so come to listen to the podcast. I teach workshops. I host retreats. And that's all kathyheller.com. Yeah, and on my mm -hmm. Instagram, we always post about the retreats and stuff like that. But we teach people. Uh, every three months, we run a manifesting course mm -hmm. um, to change your relationship with money and to help you become a master of manifestation and um, to step into your light. It's been amazing. And we run these retreats every few months. Yeah. Great. I want to come. Yeah. I want you to should teach at one. one of them. Okay. Great. Let's make it happen. Okay. Oh. oh, sweet friends. Thank you so much for joining us for this juicy, enlightening, spiritual, vulnerable, beautiful <laughs> episode of Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? I hope that you've learned as much as I have. And if you are digging this, if you want more of this rich, juicy goodness, you can head to zivameditation.com slash why this, where we have some mini masterclasses from some of our guests. And truly, if you're digging this, if you found value in this genius human's brilliance, I'd be mm -hmm. so grateful if you would review the show and share it with your friends. Tag both of us at Ziva Meditation and it's kathy.heller, right? At kathy.heller on Instagram. All right, sweet friends. Remember, Remember that you are the receiver. You just have to turn that dial to what it is that you would love. We love you. Have a beautiful day. <laughs>